this is Melina, and you're listening to Smash Mat Podcast. Mm. <laughs> All right, everybody, it's Badass Billy Gunn, WWE Hall of Famer, and now your new AEW producer. You're listening to Smash the Mat Podcast, and if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Suck it. The Smash the Mat Podcast with your hosts, G-Money, J5DB, and Mr. Magnificent. Yo, what is great in the state? It is the ugliest brother in radio, G-Money. And, of course, it is one half of the sexiest tag team in all of North Carolina. Team Sexy, Mr. Magnificent. And it's me, the one and only. It's DB. DB is back. DB is back. DB is back. Back again. Yes, indeed. Was that two in a row? (laughs) one more tic-tac-toe okay (laughs) so we have another special guest man and you know what we had to do we had to go high and low to find this man yes and you know i don't even think it's fair to call it a special guest it's not a special guest this is a legend okay in the wrestling industry okay db would you like to do the formal official intro yes okay and this man, he has been a referee. Uh-huh. He has been a, a manager extraordinaire. He's uh-huh. worked for some of the best wrestling organizations that the world has ever known. Uh-huh. You may know him maybe more from his time at ECW, representing the likes of Rob Van Dam, uh-huh. Taz, uh-huh. and Sabu. Right. I'm talking about the man. We're call, we call him Fonzie, but he is Bill. Alfonso. Bill yes. Alfonso! Welcome to the thanks, show. Thanks, boys. Beautiful. Thanks, DB. J5 and G-Money, boys. You guys are right <laughs> on, man. I love it. Nice introduction. Thank you so much. Hey, I, and I am a legend in my own mind. Hey, look, that's that's <laughs> definitely the most important part because you got to believe okay. it yourself. I believe it. Absolutely, man. So just like DB said, man, you have you have been – Pretty much everywhere. You've worked for like every major wrestling company there is. And hmm, where should we start? Because there's so much. Well, I, I, so I was much. real fortunate. Yes, I, I was real fortunate to start off um, my young career trying to get into business. Well, Florida was a, a really big wrestling compound, you know, a big state. And I mean, Eddie Graham and Dusty and Malenko. And I mean, everybody was here. At one time, so this is where I really got my start at, and um, then you know went to Mid Atlantic for Crockett's, of course WCW, yep. WWF, uh, ECW, one of my favorite places to work, uh, Japan, and you know now that I'm semi-retired and doing some indie shows and and the and conventions and stuff, um, you know working for all these smaller companies, which is pretty cool like uh, AIW out of Cleveland. I mean, everybody's shut down right now, but I started last year in August, and this August will be my one-year anniversary that I've been there, and I'm managing their top guy, Matthew Justice. He's badass. Oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, it's really been pretty cool to do these indie shows. Uh, I don't even want to call them indie shows, but that's what they are, basically. Uh, but this is a nice little company. It's kind of like an ECW on a smaller scale. But they're trying, man, and they draw pretty good. Five hundred thousand people sometimes, which is right. pretty damn good with no with no TV, just podcasts and stuff, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, all the companies have been very fortunate. So you start off wherever you guys want. Oh yeah, so so let's kind of go back uh, into the beginning. Like, what got you into the professional wrestling business? Were you always a fan growing up, just like most people? 
Yeah. Um, yes. When I found wrestling, my um, like I said, Tampa was a, a, a hot bed for wrestling. And I didn't know anything about it. My father was a friend of a sports editor for the Tampa Times, a big newspaper here. They were having lunch one day, and in the Tampa Times, they were they would put the they would uh, Florida Championship Wrestling would put an ad in their paper every week. You know who's in the wrestles every Tuesday night. They'd have wrestling, you know, and they put an ad in, and then they put they would write the results also. And the guy who was the editor was Frank Klein, so he's having lunch with my dad. He said, "Hey, Steve, you have a couple kids at home." I always get comp tickets. Here's a couple comp tickets, and and uh, so my dad came home with the comp tickets and said, "Hey, Billy, I got uh, wrestling tickets." I said, "Wrestling? What the heck's that? I didn't know anything about it. I think I was about 12 years old." So this was like on a Friday or something. So they sat in the fireplace all weekend, and curiosity got me. I said, "Damn, let me just go check this out." So when I went that Tuesday night and seen Eddie Graham with the blonde hair and Bobby Shane and Bobo Brazil and great Malenko and Johnny Valentine and Wahoo McDaniel, I said, wow, this is me. This is what I want to do. And I went and I asked my dad to see the sports editor for the paper. Can you please give me comp tickets? Tickets only a dollar twenty-five or whatever back then. But, you know. What? Uh, <laughs> but, well, we're talking to you know, Yeah. You know, when I was 12 years old, I'll be 63 in August. So, you oh, know, man. I mean, that was yeah. almost 48 years ago, you know. Right. Uh, so I was a big fan. I became a big fan. And how I got into it, I started after I went for several years and, you know, matured 16 and 17 and started driving. And I met a King Curtis and Rocky Johnson, who passed away recently. I went to his funeral. God bless him. Yeah, bless he, um, I became friends with these guys, you know, after the matches. And I was, for some reason, they took a liking to me. And then I, you know, I used to go get them sandwiches, make runs for them or whatever. And, you know, they knew I was loving the business, but I was small. I was like a Steve, you know, so, uh, so I could never be a wrestler, but maybe now because of some small guys, but, but, uh, um, so the next best thing would be a referee. Fuck, I was in. They said, "Hey, you'd make a great referee. You love the business. You're you're in tune. You're hanging around with us. I'm learning up the ass." So, Rocky Johnson and King Curtis sent me to um, Dallas, Texas, to see if I can um, get a full time gig there because there was four territories in Texas at that time. The Von Erics had Dallas area. Right. Mm -hmm. There was Paul Balls, yeah. who only ran Houston. He was known for one of the better payoff guys in the business. Uh, there yeah. was Telly Blanchard and Joe Blanchard in um, San Antonio. So there's three territories uh, in one state. And then in Lubbock and Amarillo, it was the Funks. So when I went out there, there was already everybody had the, the – the, Referees have been refereeing Bronco Lubitsch, David Manning, and there's a different referee. So there was no chance of me getting a full-time job at all. But I did manage to work a couple of shows for the Vineyards. I did manage to work for Joe Blanchard a few times. I did manage to work for Paul Bosch a couple of times. And then uh, I went to, to um, they, uh, the Von Erics would exchange talents with the Funks to the, from Amarillo to Dallas is a long freaking way, you know what I mean? Different TVs right. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So they would interchange their underneath guys to go do, you know, jobs on TV for their guys. You, you, you feel me? Yeah, yeah. I can. Okay, yeah. so they would exchange talents. So they would say, hey, um, uh, 
send me uh, three guys for Tuesday night for Tuesday afternoon TV, you know. And so I rode along with those three guys. And they said, who are you? When I got up there to Dory Funk, I said, oh, I'm Bill Alfonso. I'm a referee. So, well, we got our guys for tonight. But so two weeks later, they said, oh, send me three guys for TV and send that referee, Bill Alfonso. And it wow. wasn't TV. It was a, it was an actual big show. Yo. This is my first. This is my first paid uh, in 1978. It was in Amarillo, Texas. My first paid. So I was an official, uh, in the, officially in the business. I made sixty dollars that night. It was a big nice. house. Yep. Get, get, you never guess who the main event is. And it fucking blew me away because I'm watching these two guys my whole fucking childhood career, and now I'm in the ring with them, and I'm still. His grass, you know what I mean? Right. It, I'll tell you who it was. It was the Sheik, Sabu's uncle, and oh, Terry Funk in the chain match. Oh, my first match I got paid for. First match you got oh. paid for. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So well, for some uh, reason, for some yeah. reason, um, I did excellent. I mean, the Sheik uh, tore my shirt off and he stabbed me with a pencil, you know, a working stab, but it ended up, it ended up, penetrating, it, it, it ended up penetrating my skin and I still have the lead mark in my shoulders. I've told this story in magazines and stuff and people come up to me and say, hey, let me see the, the lead mark in your arm where they stab you and I show them. So, uh, so I was well liked and I did really good for some reason. I was a natural, you know, I'm a natural athlete. I play base. I wasn't a superstar athlete, you know, but I was a natural athlete in basketball, baseball, running, sports, fishing, all that natural. You know right, what I mean? Right. It just came to be good. So it was naturally fit for me and I was small. So they loved me. And then I got work periodically in that eight months I was there in Texas, but not enough to maintain uh, a life. So I came back yeah. to Florida. So when I was coming back to Florida, this is pretty cool. Um, you guys remember, you should remember this because he was a big name in the Carolinas. Paul Jones. Paul Jones? Paul Jones, Paul Jones. little guy, Paul yeah. Jones. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. and he had a body shop in Charlotte, big body shop in Charlotte when he retired, you know, paint body shop and all that for auto. So anyway, all the guys found out that I was leaving. I said, look, you know, they got David Manning, Bronco Lubrins, this guy, that guy refereeing, there's no chance in hell of me getting a full-time job, so I got to go home. I just can't live on nothing. So Paul Jones came up to me and said, hey, Fonzie, I heard you leaving. You know, sorry, there's no work for you here. But listen, Jerry Briscoe's the assistant booker in Florida, Dusty's a booker, and he said, when you get to Florida, I want you to go by the office and let them know you just moved back and um, tell them you're available and, and, and so on and so on. I said, oh, thank you, Paul Jones. So I was scared as hell to go to the Florida wrestling office because I w grew up in this area, you know what I mean? I've been out in Texas trying to get a gig. So anyway, I worked up the nerve and I went to the Florida office and I walk in downstairs and there was a, the a greeter guy, old wrestler named Charlie Lay. Uh, he said, yeah, can I can help you, kid. He talks like that. Hey, what, you know, can I help you, kid? I said, yes, sir. I said, Paul Jones uh, wanted me to stop by and let you guys know that I just moved back from Florida, from Texas. I was refereeing out there, and I'm available if anything opens up. I'll be happy to leave my number. He said, well, let me call Jerry Briscoe. So I went up and talked to Jerry Briscoe. Told him the same thing. I said, Paul Jones sent me. I worked for it. Now, I didn't work a long time. I worked maybe two times for Joe Blanchard. I maybe worked one time for... Uh, Paul Bosch, maybe three or four times 
for Devon Erickson four or five times for the um, the Funks in an eight-month period. So that's nothing. But I had worked for these guys, so I told Jerry Briscoe, look, I worked for the Funks, the Blanchers, Paul Balls, and Devon Erickson. He said, wow, what were your qualifications? Wow, great to hear. He said, unfortunately, Bill Alfonso, we have our full-time referees, but why don't you leave your name and number and leave your number downstairs with Charlie Lay? And if something comes up this summer where we start running two shows a day, sometimes we do that on Friday and Saturday and when the territory gets real hot, he said, we may be able to use you. This was on the Monday. Yeah. Listen right. to this. So Monday. <laughs> so Monday night in Florida, they ran West Palm Beach every Monday. It was 200 miles from Tampa to West Palm. You do the show and drive back. The next day is Tampa. Wednesday's Miami. Thursday's Jacksonville. Friday was a spot show. Saturday was a spot show. And Sunday was Orlando. And it would repeat itself week after week after week after year after year after year. So, so listen. So the referee had the three main events in his car. Whoever the referee was. I never met him. And they're driving to West Palm Beach. And you got to go through this fucking area where there's alligators and there's a long stretch of road with no gas stations for like 40 miles. And he's got the three main events with him. Dusty's the booker. The play, West Palm Beach is sold out. So the referee has a flat tire going to the show in that oh, desert. In that oh, are there with the alligators? Area. Oh, <laughs> well, no. Well, just in a bad area. Yeah, in just a bad in a, area. You right, know right. It's, he had no fucking spare tire. They missed the show. <laughs> they missed the show because nobody drove by to help him. You know what I mean? Right. The show oh, starts yeah. at 8 o'clock. Yeah. You know, Dusty fired him on the spot. I get a phone call Tuesday morning. Dang. It's Charlie Lay, the, the guy that answers the phone to, in the Florida Championship Wrestling, the old guy. He said, hey, Bill uh, Alfonso. I said, yes, sir. He says, no, this is Charlie Lay from Florida Championship Wrestling. Dusty wants to know if you can make it tonight and referee uh, Tuesday at the matches at the Armory. I said, yes, sir. What time would you like me? He said, 7 o'clock. I went there, and I've been in the business ever since full time. Man. Wow. wow. So if it wasn't for that flat tire, uh, who knows what would have happened. You Man. know what I mean? But Dusty was flat so tire. mad. <laughs> yes. I don't know if they refunded the money for West Palm Beach because they – you know, the three main events canceled the show. It was fucking terrible. But, uh, yeah, I worked every since. And uh, my first year, well, my first week there, at the end of the week, Jerry Briscoe came up and said, hey, they really like you. You look great. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you got a full-time job with us. And it ended up lasting. And, you know, the territories folded up. And then, you know, WCW took over. And, you know, the cable system, Channel 17, the Superstation, mm -hmm. Monday Night Raw. Oh, I was yeah. on the first Monday Night Raw. Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. So that was fucking uh, 93 <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that, that's how I got started in the business. And I loved it. I've been so lucky and so blessed. There's not too many uh, guys that have been in the business like me a long time. We're all dying out. And there'll never be guys in the business for like we have, like, you know, uh, uh, like Steamboat and all these guys have been in for... <laughs> 40 years because it just don't happen no more. You know what I mean? What's the lifespan of a wrestler now? Five, eight years or something? Or something like and there's that. no this place to go. True. There's no yeah, place to go. You, you can work for foreign championship wrestling. Then you can go uh, uh, to uh, Louisiana and work. Then you can go work for the Bunny in Texas. You can go out to Oregon and work out there. You, 
so many territories to go work for. But there's none of that no more. None of that. There's yeah. only one company yeah, really true. now. The one in Jacksonville too is doing pretty well. I'm glad to hear that. But uh, uh, you know what I mean. So we're last. We're the last of the dying breed. There'd be no more guys like us that you say, oh, you're legendary. You work for everybody. You've been in the business a long time. Yeah, but there's no more of that. No more yeah, of that. Yeah. So once we all die out, times change. Yes, yeah, yeah. In, in a good way. It's progression. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean now, you know, Vince McMahon doesn't want the work he does want the working class but yeah. he also wants the doctor his wife and the two kids at ringside you know sports entertainment right yeah so that's the wrestling has changed you know what i mean so changes a billion dollar look at wrestlemania one of the biggest events it's like a super bowl it's powerful yeah. almost. huge exactly huge. Exactly. huge and i was on wrestlemania nine. Oh, oh wow what what match? See, so, so, so you're like the one that's made a cameo in just about everything. I swear. <laughs> yeah. I was so lucky. My right place at the right time, and well, like yes, I've been blessed to work, uh, you know, all over the country. Oh, I refereed. Uh, it was cool because Hiro Matsuda, Japanese wrestler, he was part of the Florida Championship Wrestling office. You know, yeah. Eddie Graham owned it, and maybe Hiro Matsuda had twenty percent. And a couple, there was a couple other owners, small percentage, but they were active in the, in the business, on a daily basis. And Matsuda loved me after a couple of years. He treated me like shit at first, because the Japanese are tough. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, they, right. The young boys got to wash his back and carry the bags and all that shit. You know. So yeah. uh, I got some stories to tell you about that too. Um, so Matsuda was. Uh, sending Americans and bringing Japanese back and forth from Japan, to United States, to Florida, and Nova. So he's, so it's the first show that WCW and the Japanese wrestling office, Fujinami's uh, office, are going to do a joint show at the Tokyo Dome. And the main event was uh, Fujinami against Ric Flair, mm. world Ooh. title, and Hiro Matsuda wanted me to fly over and do that match. Ooh. And I did, and I did, and did a terrific job. And you know, it looked fucking great. I I sewed. Uh, I had my mother, dear God, rest her soul. She's passed away. Right. Uh, she sewed. She sewed a, a Japanese flag and an American flag because it was America oh. against Japan. You know what I mean? Right, right. So right. when I put you, you know how the Japanese go, ooh, ah. So all the all the big shots were backstage. I'm getting dressed. I got a beautiful designer shirt. Beautiful designer pants, black, real nice nikes, man. Haircuts, beautiful. I look like a million dollars. They loved it, you know, because it was belt versus, you know, it was crazy. Uh, right. So we did the match. It was great, and they loved me, and I've been there 13 times. Dang, wow. <laughs> so very fortunate, yes. Yeah, that was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And it was 65,000 people indoors at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, yeah, 65,000 on an indoor show. It was inside the building. It was crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. That was 1991. Wow, 1991, 65,000. Gee, what was it? Okay, so you said you was at WrestleMania 9. What what, uh, match did you ref at uh, WrestleMania 9? I did, I think I did, uh, the, the main match that I did was Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez, because I was Giant oh. Gonzalez's personal assistant. Well, that's another story. I was his personal yeah. assistant oh, wow. for three years, three years on the road, taking care of the 
largest athlete on the planet at that time. Good I mean, it was cool because I took him around the country and to Japan and all over the world as, you know, I was referee and then he would work. He wasn't a great worker, but his size, people couldn't believe it. Way bigger than Andre. You know, I got stories yeah, about Andre too. Uh, it was an attraction. Yeah. So can you imagine a little five foot ten guy walking around with a, they built him as eight foot, he was really, really like seven, seven, almost seven, Good eight. God, that's um, still but huge. But yeah. the tallest athlete on the planet at that time is nobody. So we got uh, we did move he did movies and uh, TV shows like Baywatch and uh, Hulk Hogan's Thunder in Paradise. So all this uh, game shows uh, so uh, when we worked for WCW you know, Ted Turner owns the Braves, the Hawks, WCW, CNN. He owns Atlanta, Mr. Atlanta. So he wanted the tallest athlete on the planet to go to a Braves game. <laughs> they would, right. and where, where, where Ted Turner and Jimmy Carter, the president, would sit in the presidential box. So they, it would be Giant Gonzalez and me, Fonzie, sitting right next to the Giants. So the camera would be on the, uh, you know, on, on the game. Then they'd pan over to us and say, hey, the Braves are doing so good. Even the Giant comes out. They wouldn't say, and Fonzie too, but they would say, look, there's a Giant, the tallest athlete in the world, watching the Brave game. And then they would pan back to the game. That's all they wanted was a few seconds, you know, of that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so that's some of the perks that I got when you said I was fortunate and lucky to be in so yeah. many different uh, hot spots. That was one of them. Man. Pretty cool. Man. Baywatch, Pam yeah. Landers, and all the people. That was all pretty cool, wrestling related. Yeah. Very jealous. Very yeah, jealous. That's awesome. So, so let's go right into ECW. So, can you give us okay. um, um, how it was to be a part of ECW in the many different roles? Like, how, how did you get involved? Let me tell, let me tell you how I got to ECW. Okay. okay. So, Florida Championship Wrestling in the eighties. There was a wrestler named Tombstone. Wasn't a big name. You guys might have never heard of him. He was from uh, Baltimore. I never heard of him. Somehow he got booked down in Florida for six months or whatever. And Paul Heyman came down with him as his buddy. You know, Paul Heyman was trying to get into business. I think he was a photographer and whatever. He was trying to break into business. And at that time, I was the assistant booker in the state of Florida with uh, – Bob Root was a booker and Bill Alfonso was assistant booker because I had already been in the business several years and earned my keep. And I, I knew the territory. I produced TVs and so on and, you know, book matches and the whole nine yards. I was an assistant. So Paul Heyman, uh, nice kid. He always wear Converse tennis shoes, a holy pair of jeans and a T-shirt and go to the matches every and he was traveling with the guy, with, with the Tombstone, the wrestler, to East Town, Monday night, Palm Beach, Tampa, Miami, and so on, all week long for a few months. So Tombstone was going to leave the territory, and Paul Heyman says, hey, look, I'm, uh, Tombstone's leaving. He asked me, he said, Fonzie, you think I can go to the ring and be his manager the last two weeks we're in Florida? I said, well, let me think about it. You damn sure can't go out there in a pair of holy jeans and uh, old Converse <laughs> right, and a T-shirt. Right. I said, do you have money to get a suit? I didn't know his family's wealthy and their fucking dad's an attorney. <laughs> they live in Scarsdale, New York, and load of money. He said, yeah, I can get a suit. I said, okay, get a suit, and you can go to the ring with Tombstone. And usually when you're leaving the territory, you do jobs for the guys. You know, you're leaving, so why yeah, should yeah, they put exactly. you over? Yep. So he was wrestling Scott Hall, not Razor Ramon, Scott Hall at the time. So he's wrestling oh, really? Scott Hall, which is Razor Ramon. But So he's wrestling Scott Hall, and the finish was, 
Boom, boom, they get it right. In comes Paul Heyman to try to hit Scott Hall. Scott stops him, picks him up, and press slams him every night for a couple of weeks. And Paul Heyman did a great job, and he loved it. And he never forgot me uh, for helping him. Let It wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, and it was good for the show, to, for, for Hill to get slammed around and, you know, the baby face to get a pop. So yeah. he thanked me and stuff. So then uh, we all went to, I didn't see him for a few years. And then I went to WCW, and then Paul Heyman was there as Paulie Dangerously with the phone and all that shit. And we, you know, worked there together. And uh, then I went, you know, everybody goes their separate ways. And then Paul Heyman became a big star with the AWA and Vern Gagne and all that. He's been in the business like me a long time. So uh, I finished up in WWF, and I come home. I haven't been off. Uh, I'm working full-time and haven't had longer than two or three weeks off my entire career. It's, you know, it's been from 1978 to 1994. I've worked every fucking day almost, and I'm not yeah. complaining. It was great. Right, right. So this is my first time being off, so I said, damn, this is great. I got nice money. Um, my house is paid for. My car, my kid's beautiful. Life is pretty damn good. So I'm on, uh, yeah. I, I got five acres, I got 30 orange trees, I'm living good, and the phone rings, and it's Paul Heyman. I haven't heard from Paul in years. Right. Right? You know, out of sight, out of mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was yeah. Fresh. Hey, Fonzie, how you doing? You know, what you doing since you left? I was still on TV when he called me, because they tape, you know, weeks of Monday Night Raw. They would do one live show and tape two. Uh, Monday night was a live broadcast tuesday was a tape episode huh? monday night they would show the following monday and the wednesday was another tape episode they would show the third week so we would go live every month wow. and do the two yeah. you know the, the first you know the first the first uh monday night raw so gotcha. so anyway i finished and i said boy he said hey punchy what are you doing i said well i'm just kicking back i'm not working he says look i have this uh a company ECW. I said, what the fuck's an ECW? <laughs> I swear, I told him that. That's kind, of, kind of a rip because I've only worked for WCW, for wrestling, you know, uh, uh, Japan, WWF. I don't, I've never worked an indie show in my life because I've had a blessed and had a good career. Yeah. yeah so it's a cool. little wrestling company. I got this idea. We're violent. We're hardcore. I want you to come up with your referee outfit from WWF, the white shirt, the bow tie looking good and stop be anti-violent stop the violence yeah and said people are gonna hate that. you so <laughs> i was i said okay thank you paul he said look we'll fly you up we'll give you a payday put you in a hotel and you come up for four weeks and at the end of the four weeks 911 is one of the big characters they're gonna choke slam you and then you're done thank you very much you know we'll pay you <laughs> you know a couple grand or whatever for the four weeks yeah, yeah, yeah fantastic yeah. thank you paul so i the gimmick got over. The people hated me because I stopped. It was Axel Rotten and Ian Rotten in the tie pay death match where they taped their hands up, dipped their hands in glass, Woo. and have a match. And so the people, the fans, have been waiting for this match for weeks, if not months. They've been building this tie pay death match up. So they know it's going to be bloody, it's hardcore, ECW, and all that shit. So uh, four minutes into the match, one guy gets hit in the eye, then he gets hit above the eye and gets a little, little trickle of juice. My grandson can get better juice than that. But it was the 
dying to get <laughs> some more juice. So I stopped the match. I pushed the guy. It's on YouTube. So I, I pushed Ian on the run. I grabbed the microphone. Due to the lack of vision and Axel Ron's eyes, I'm stopping the match. And the people wow. wanted I had to have a police <laughs> oh. escort out of that building. What? They wanted to hang my Yeah, so these were smart marks. You know that term, smart yeah. marks. Yep, yep, smart. They still, they still got, wanted to see this match. And I stopped it. They loved it, I guess, because, you know. But So at the end of the four weeks, I didn't get chokeslammed. And... It kept going and going and going. And then Paul Heyman had this brilliant idea to put me with Taz. And that worked because Taz oh, yeah. never got over. Taz never got over. It was oh. like five gimmicks before he became Taz. He was monkey boy. He was Tasmania. Whatever the hell he wow. had. Some gimmicks, right? <laughs> and he never got right. over. God bless him. And he's a hell of a guy. He is. But once they put me in him together as me as his manager, and he became Taz, and Taz is like a real spin-off of his real personality. You know what I mean? He's that type of guy. You know, he's hardcore, he's tough, and he, you know, he's a, uh, but we both got over. That was the beginning of my managing career, which I thought I transitioned to pretty smooth. And Paul Heyman and them helped me walk through, because I couldn't do an interview for shit. I couldn't do promos. They said, <laughs> hey, Bob, did say, do, do, do this promo, and I would have to do eight takes or nine takes. I said, damn, I'm not getting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Tommy Dreamer and Paul Hamman come up to me and says, Fon, on your promos, just treat it like a shoot. Say what's real. So, so I'm going to give you an example. I'll do a little promo. I'll say, okay, Sunday night at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be doing a, a smash the mat, daddy. Everybody listen. I'm going live with my boys. And, you know, so just talk about what's really going to happen. So I would say, Hey, next Saturday night in Philadelphia, Taz is going to kick Sabu's ass and so on. So then I was called One Take Fonzie because I got it right away. Oh, man. And that was my longevity. And, uh, you know, went from Taz to, of course, Van Damme and Sabu. And I had a really good five-year run. It was supposed to be four weeks. I loved it. Man, that's Best time. That's crazy. And only worked Friday and Saturday and made great money. Not, not WWF money, but I was only working two days a week. I still made 50 grand a year. That's Man. pretty damn good money. Man. That's five good. years, that's 250 grand in five years, working Friday and Saturday, that's plus ridiculous. they pay for my flight. I was blessed. That's ridiculous. I'm, I'm going to need you to give us the secret. I don't <laughs> no, <right>. really. You <laughs> know what? Kind of I, question. I believe in karma oh, yeah. and being in the right place at the right time. That's the secret. And Absolutely. being good at what oh. you do. So I know so um, around that time, yeah. I'm sorry, DB. Hold on real quick. No, no, no. So uh, that, that time you was managing Taz, that's when he had that, that it was like a year long undefeated streak, right? Or something. Right. Fuck the bit. world belt and all that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. Taz was badass. Yeah. Taz was badass that he got over like hell. They wanted to see him and Sabu get together. They held it off for a long time and then they finally hooked up, you know, and had their thing. But yeah, Taz got over, man. He had the long period. Van Damme had the T V title for two years. Yeah, I was I was gonna get month, into that. Yeah. Eighteen was... day. Yeah. Whew. Oh my so, God. So you're the difference maker. If you manage a person, then they hold the belt for a long, long time. Huh? Well, it, uh, I'm not the difference maker. The booker is the difference maker. <laughs> but but um, I was in the right place at the right time, and it just worked. It's like I said, I was probably lucky. I was, I'm pretty good at what I do. I'm pretty talented at what I do because I've done this my whole life. So I'm not embarrassed to say I'm talented and 
ring. Right. And um, so that's what got us all by, man. Okay. That's what got us all by. Now, okay. now I do have a question. Uh, now, there, yes. there's always a lot of people that discuss the way that Paul Heyman was running ECW with the money and everything. Did you ever see any of this, uh, of the, the controversy on that side of things? Yeah, we've seen it every, we've seen it every week. You got to remember, we were a small company. We were mm-hmm. getting on TV. We were fighting the big show, the, the two big companies, WCW and WWF. We had no corporate sponsors. We were doing good. There was an audience. There was a demand, enough demand for that hardcore blood and gut, sex and violence to maintain a small company, but not make big money. So I'm going to give you numbers, but these aren't accurate numbers. They were bringing in six, uh, uh, $8 million a year, but we were spending $9 million a year. You know what I mean? We had no corporate yeah. response, so it was tough. So Paul Heyman did this tremendous job, so he had to balance money talent uh do the matches pay we did i i was on 22 pay-per-views there uh and i was in the main event and you know that thing about the bad checks and all that i'm sure there was a little bit of that here and there but it's not as bad as people uh say but um because we were borrowing money from peter to pay paul i think vince gave paul Heyman a million dollars to keep going because wcw and wwf was plucking our talent I mean, Sandman yeah. left, uh, Taz left, Mike Awesome left. They all went to get these three or four hundred thousand dollar a year jobs. Dang, we can't that's right. That. But yeah, but it was you know Paul Heyman did an excellent job. Even though uh, Paul Heyman is brilliant in the wrestling business, and he loved it. That's why. Answer the fucking door. I hear doorbell. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, but Paul Heyman's uh, <laughs> Paul Heyman's really talented at what he did. So. That bullshit of him being a dick and all that, that's no good. That's not accurate at all. Paul Heyman was beloved. He got more. People wanted to bust their ass. People wanted to dive off a 10-story building and go through tables for Paul Heyman. You know, even though they know they might get a bad check once in a while or they won't even make $200 that night or, you know, there was a long drive and, you know, so on and so on. But, you know, we were doing – Paul did no intentional badness at all. Not intentional. And if something happened, I think I might have got a check one time and Paul Heyman said, hey, Fonzie, please don't cash that check till Tuesday. You know, I got it on a Friday, whatever. So no problem, Paul, you know. Uh, But all good, man. Uh, J5DB and uh, uh, G-Money, Paul Heyman was a freaking great guy to work for. Absolutely. You know, but we didn't have that big money. We just didn't have that big money. Right. And I love Paul Heyman to this day. And also now, Todd Gordon, who was the founder of ECW, became my be- one of my best friends. He didn't know. Hey, when I walked in, when Paul Heyman called me, remember I was cutting my grass at the orange trees and Paul Heyman yeah, called right. me. I just fresh out of uh, WWF and he said, hey, come up, Fonzie, for four weeks. So, my, so I flew up, right? I'm walking in the dressing room for the first time in ECW. I walked through the doors. I got Louis Vuitton luggage. I got a beautiful $1,000 suit. I got a little stainless steel Rolex. My hair is perfect. I'm looking fucking sweet. I walk in, and there's Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, Mikey Whiprack, Cat. I didn't know where. I didn't know one of these fucking guys except Paul Heyman. You know, they all, right, right. They all knew me, but I didn't know who the who the fuck Sandman. But after a while, you know, Paul created his own star. So that was, you know, that's hard to do in a small company. He created his own big stars. And look, all those names I just named are big stars still today. 
Mm. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, I, so my whole point is, I say, what the fuck? I walk in, I don't know anybody, you know? Right. Damn, but, you know, but, you know, good karma and everything. I did my job, so it was well-liked and all good. So, so I know now also, besides the fact that, that you know, you managed a few people, you actually got in the ring a few times. Now, yeah. I have to ask you about the Beulah match, man. Okay. Because I've heard a lot of things. about. I've watched it myself, but I just want to know some stuff behind it. Like, Okay, like, what do you want me to know? You want me to go through the whole deal? Please. Yeah, go through it. Yeah, okay. please. Cause that would, that, so, hmm. people still come up to me today. I don't think if it was for the big juice, people would be talking about the match. Cause, uh, yeah. um, so, WCW was plucking guys. Mike Austin had just left under, you know, the negotiations and I didn't know at the time Sabu was negotiating. This is like a week or two before the Beulafonzi match. Sabu was negotiating with Kevin Sullivan. He had flew to Atlanta negotiating. He was going to get a contract for 350 a year, 450 the second year, 550. And they said, hey, what manager do you want, Sabu? Because he doesn't talk. Fonzie, of course. So I didn't know none of this was going on. So I'm automatically going to make a couple hundred grand a year. You know what I mean? And right. I would have went eventually, but I was I didn't know it was going on in negotiations. So people think that I got that big juice because I was trying to save my job. I didn't know that, you know, people come up to me and say, oh, I know you were, you were getting ready to get fired. That's, that wasn't true at all. I didn't know anything oh. about that. But but anyway, so me and Beulah, she's an uh, adult movie star. Uh, penthouse center, full spread, beautiful little waist, big titties, good looking. <laughs> she got over. Yeah. You know, Tommy Dreamer ended up marrying her. They got kids. They're beautiful. Oh, I love yeah. you. So, right, yeah, right. yeah. They, um, you got twins. They were on the episode of The Sopranos using the twins for some scene. But anyway, um, so me and Beulah were doing this little competition thing. She's a diva. Fonzie blows my whistle. And we would get into it a little bit, but so eventually we're going to build up to this match, and we did. So we're two non-wrestlers. I wrestled a little bit here and there, uh, but, you know, but I should know the business because I've been watching it. I've been in the ring for 20-something years. Right, exactly. So we, we did our thing. We did our thing. Tommy, me, and Bulo designed the match up a little bit, and we followed and did it and ended up getting the big juice, and the rest is history. That's the number one. Uh, when I do the podcast, or conventions, people come up to me and ask me about the Beulah match. They also ask me about the Lex Luger Bruiser Brody cage match in Fort Lauderdale, where Luger jumped over the top of the cage and left. It's another one they ask me about all the time. But, but and, and I love Beulah. Oh, I, I got such big juice. I almost died after the <laughs> yeah, match. I heard them. I go, back uh, yes. and I go back to the dressing room. I got three paramedics working on me. They could not stop the blood because I, I hit an artery. And some veins or something and sliced my fucking head a big gash. So they tried to fucking stop the bleeding. They couldn't. They ended up putting a steel plate on my head, a cold plate, and taping it up and rushed me to the hospital in an ambulance. I said, what the fuck, you know? So I get to the hospital, and they admit you right away because head trauma is a serious thing. I found out. So uh, I didn't sustain like a big concussion. I just was cut thick. And an uh, artery or something was every time my heart would pump, blood would shoot out. So, the, oh so the nurse, uh, the, the 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 nurses got me in the on the table, and 
starting to undress my that cold paint on my hand. I said, ma'am, I wouldn't do that if I were you because she says, don't tell me how to do my job. I've been a nurse for 22 years. Okay, so she right. took the, okay. the, the Band-Aid off and, the, and this cold paint, as soon as she did, juice flew all, all over her face and her <laughs> white uniform <laughs> and shit. And, and uh, she called a bunch of people in and they were, and now I've lost so much blood that I'm almost fainting. The guy comes in with those paddles, those electric jumper cables that they kickstart yeah. your heart with. <laughs> You know those fucking yeah, things? The, the I said, hey, yeah. what, what are those for? I'm almost passing out. Why are you holding my legs up <laughs> to keep the blood to your head? What are those for? Oh, just in case. Don't worry. But they end up taking care of me, and they stitched me up inside and out. They got me under control. Three hours later, um, kind of safe. And I wanted to leave because I got a 6.30 a.m. flight back to Tampa the next <laughs> morning. Jeez. And the doctor said, no, we want to keep you here a couple of days. I said, fuck, no, I'm all good. He stitched me up. I'm good. So they said, so I had to sign a release to leave the hospital. And they said, well, okay. They brought me out in a wheelchair. Sandman was waiting out for me outside. Uh, so the doctor said, whatever you do, don't take a pill. Don't smoke a cigarette. Don't smoke pot. Don't drink. And don't get on an airplane. I said, okay. The first thing when I come out, get out of the wheelchair, Sandman has a 32-ounce vodka and cranberry. <laughs> Nothing lit up. Gives me a Percocet. Takes me to the airport because my flight's leaving in two hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy. It's a wonder I didn't die. You know, we do weird shit when you think you're invincible. I didn't think I was invincible, but I thought it was pretty uh, kind of ordinary, but a little out of the ordinary. But I said, okay, I'll be fine, but... You know, I, I took my life into my own hands, and I shouldn't have, but all good. Wow. <laughs> hey, you're here. That's the main thing. And people are still <laughs> talking about that match today. It's because of the big juice and, yeah, you know, crazy. and the ECW. And and it was one of Paul Heyman's favorite matches in ECW history. Man, and you he know. Talk, he talks about it. If you go to Paul Heyman and say, hey, give me your top three favorite matches ever in the history of ECW. How are you going to name the three matches, you know? Well, that's a fucking hard question. You had every superstar known to mankind come through ECW, uh, big stars. Yes. And yep, he'll yep. say, Fonzie and Beulah, one of my top favorite matches. <laughs> I guarantee it. Amazing, yeah. yeah it is amazing. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Beulah. Absolutely. And you had some You had some, um, some matches with Ted Gordon. What? That's the name, right? Ted Gordon. Todd, Todd. Todd Gordon. Todd. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Todd, Todd. Yeah, Todd. He's one of my best friends today. I talk to him all the time. He lives in Philadelphia. Very wealthy, got a uh, gold, uh, precious metal uh, broker, and uh, I talked to him all the time. Uh, yeah, I had some because he was the uh, uh, owner of ECW, you know, on TV and right. really on backstage, you know. So uh, he, they didn't like me. The promotion didn't like me because I was anti-ECW. Right, right. Him and I ended up getting yeah. into some stuff, and he's a non-wrestler guy too. You know, he's a businessman, wears a suit every day. And uh, he used to beat my ass because he would get in the ring and it'd be like a deer in a headlight. Right. You know, the lights would come on and blind that deer. He didn't know what the fuck. He was hitting me like 10 times in the forehead as hard as he could, I swear. Oh, as hard as he could. I'd say, Todd, but not on purpose. He yeah, just got, yeah. you know, got over anxious. I said, Todd, loosen up. You're killing me. He didn't hear me. And I'm 18, eight inches away from him telling him, hey, loosen up. You're killing me. The bumps on my head and shit. But. It was good for the business, so I survived Man. it, and I'd rather have him beat my ass and try to throw a working punch and look like shit, you know? <laughs> so I took a little ass yeah. He's one of my 
dear friends, and what a great guy. I love Todd Gordon. Oh, man. Love it, love it. Now, now, can you explain the whistle? Like, like, can you explain? Yes, of course. I why the whistle was was your your authentic, it was iconic, like your go to really. iconic piece? Well, <laughs> I didn't know anything about a freaking whistle, bro. When they turned me against Taz, I mean, uh, when they put me with Taz that first night, mm-hmm. um, nobody called it. Nobody knew I was going to be a managing Taz. I came in there as a referee and anti ECW, and and uh, Taz got hurt for real. And he was off a few months, and they played it like ECW didn't care that he was hurt. Nobody called him. The promotion didn't call. They, of course, they called him. The promotion didn't call him. He had a sour taste in his mouth because he got hurt and nobody cared for him. But he grabbed the microphone and says, hey, Bill Alfonso called me every day. Bill Alfonso cared for me. Bill Alfonso sent me money. He's right. my new manager and so on and so on. So, uh, so that night, I became Taz's manager. No more refereeing. And at the end of the night, Paul Heyman came up to me and says, Fonzie, you got over. We love it. You can be with Taz for a while. Could be possibly a year. Who knows how long we're going to play this thing out. I want you to blow this whistle here's a whistle just you know we go to the ring blow it and uh see if it works so i didn't like the whistle so paul Heyman gave oh, us wow. a whistle what the what the hell whistle so the next week i fly up to, to philadelphia to do uh the ecw arena and i'm getting dressed and shit and i have no whistle on me uh paul Heyman says, hey fonzie where's the whistle I forgot it on purpose because I didn't like it. I, didn't, I was embarrassed to blow the whistle. You know, I didn't like it. It just didn't jive with me. So Paul Heyman says, Fonzie, that's your gimmick. Mikey Whiprack, go to, to fucking Sears and get him a whistle. So he, oh, he brought me a whistle. Then I started blowing it. Then I kind of fell in love with the whistle. And people could identify with the whistle because if they didn't know who I was, they didn't know, oh, you're that motherfucker who blows that whistle all the time. You know, yeah, okay, you blow that whistle. All right, so... Uh, people could identify that whistle with Bill Alfonso got over, and I still use it today. Dang. When I go do uh, a podcast or or a convention or AIW uh, uh, with Matthew Justice, I take my whistle. The conventions, people want to hear me blow it and stuff all the time. So I, it's an identification piece for me, and it was Paul Heyman's idea to do that. Man, that's crazy. So if you had your choice, yeah. like if you had to pick one, either – refereeing or being a manager, which one would you choose? Well, I think managing was easier because I'd only be out there for 20 minutes. A referee, I'd be out there the whole night. Referee, there's, usually there's two referees, you know, one was referee off and on eight matches or whatever. So it was more demand, more uh, power out of my body. But I liked managing because I would end up being good at it. And I liked the TV time and like the personal, but I enjoyed refereeing until I became a manager, you know, of doing the Fujinami and Ric Flair in Japan and Madison Square Garden and all these places all over the country. Refereeing was great, man, and I loved it. I was really good at it. So I, I would choose managing because I think you get a little more exposure, and I was all about exposure, you know what I mean? While, while right, we're, on the, we're on the subject of management, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, what to you makes a good manager? for those who are like managers like or aspiring managers in the wrestling business? I think knowing the business real good, knowing the matches, being a part of, uh, of the design of the matches and uh, working with you guys and knowing every aspect 
when I go to that ring, I know the whole match of the whatever they don't talk about backstage, they'll call it in the ring. But usually, generally now, uh, in this new era, but back in the days, um, the heels and the babyfaces got dressed in two different dressing rooms. So basically, they would only get the finish. They would say, "Okay, Harry Windham over uh, Ray Candy." And eight minutes, you know, with your finish, Barry. And then they would call the match in the ring, the headlock. Hey, shoot me off, give me one tackle, drop down, I'll leapfrog you. Give me an arm drag, I'll take a powder. You know, they would call it in the ring. But now you, they, the guys call the whole match backstage. This is okay, but that's what developed you. Right, right. So a uh, good manager's got to know the business. Got to be, got to look good. I always try to. You know, every pay-per-view, I'd have a shirt made up, you know, uh, uh, whatever, barely legal, and Van Damme's name is Abu, and the hat, and the whistle. So in nice clothes, and look good, and uh, interact with the people, because people are what it's all about, man. If I can entertain them, I got it. Uh, and the same people who uh, spit on me and called me an asshole at the ECW arena at ringside would buy me a cocktail at the Marriott after the Masters. <laughs> you know, hey, oh, boy, I hated you last night. What are you drinking? You know, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty cool. So, you know, I'm a good PR guy. That's another. You got to be a good PR guy. The fans are our friends. You know, when yeah. I do these conventions, um, I see some wrestlers shun fans, uh, like walk by and say, "Hey, can I get a picture? Twenty-five dollars." And and and, and the guy don't want to pay the twenty-five because he don't got it. The wrestler gets mad at him or something. You know, if I see a guy come to a music. Oh, I don't got the money, but I'll take a picture with them anyway. I give more shit away at these conventions than sometimes I make money. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's dope, but because people don't forget that. Let me All give right. you an example. Um, 1993 was the Nassau Coliseum at a big show for WWE, WWF at the time. So we do the show. We're all at the Marriott. And I walk in, and I'm just a referee, but still, the fans know who you are. You know? So I walk in, and there's a big group of Marks, to the wrestling, I hate to say Marks, but big group of wrestling fans. Uh, <laughs> but people don't mind being called Marks, because that's the combination. So there's a bunch of wrestling fans there. Uh, and I sat down in the lobby. I checked in. I sat down, and I started talking to other wrestlers. There was about 25 people surrounding me. They wanted to hear stories. And I was being nice and shit. There was this one kid in the back, maybe 13 or 14 years old, uh, and he had kind of uh, his clothes weren't five star. You know, he had a holy shirt, and just, he looked a little poorer side. You know what I mean? And his mm -hmm. mother was there, a fat broad, and all that. So everybody was pushing <laughs> this kid back, and he wanted to get next to Fonzie to hear stories and talk. So out of the blue, I don't know why he did this. Oh, and, and that night was a, a pay per view or something, so they. The WWF gave us all jackets, you know, WWF jacket, the name of the paper, nice. you know, like other leather, but you know, those nice jackets, like whatever, mm -hmm. real nice. Yeah. So I seen these, all the other fans pushing the kid back and shunned him a little bit. And so in front of everybody, I said, Hey, brother, come over here. And I started talking to him and said, Hey, come up to my room with me, uh, you and your mom. So they come up and I give him my jacket i've only had it for three hours i give my i put it on the kid That's what's up. that mother sent me a fucking christmas card she still i still get a christmas card from him every fucking year wow oh God. that's awesome I was just what, what that cost me nothing yeah say i've done that in japan i've done that all over the world i'm 
she's well liked by the fans. Because, and that's why all the fat uh, blonde girls love me because I treat them like all <laughs> Pamela Anderson. So I got eight fat blondes chasing me around the country at all times. Crazy. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> yeah. see, see, that's the type of fans we need to get. Wait, let's let's wait, get some fat blonde fans. Wait. <laughs> look. I was just want to look on on the description of this show. I'm going to put find out why fat blonde women love Bill. Because <laughs> I treat them like they're Pamela Anderson, and nobody treats a fat ugly blonde that good. You know what I mean? They, 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 they treat them like they're class citizens. You know, beauty is uh oh god. Uh, you know, but but I treat them good, so I'm well liked by. That's all awesome, of them. man. That's a that's, that's literally amazing. like no BS. That's a great strategy. That, that is like that's, that's, we need to work on that. So 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 we'll work on that. All right, Bill. Uh, I want to ask you now. Do you watch any of today's product? And if so, which show would you like to truly return to? Would you be more open to returning to AEW or coming to WWE at all? If they maybe, did give you the call, Impact well, or something like or that. Or yeah, Impact. Oh, well, if one of the four major companies called me, I'd go to. The- WWF, WWE, of course, is the biggest one, and uh, you're gonna make the most money. And now, if I went to the uh, one in AEW, um, they may last five years, it may last 25 years. We're not sure. WWF ain't going away. The other companies, uh, they're all gonna pay you, but I'm looking for long term, uh, long term, you know. But I'm 63, so I don't know how long term I got. But, But I'll go for the money. I'll go for the money at this point. If any of them call me for a reason. You know, I was going to do, they just had, they canceled WrestleMania in Tampa because of the virus. And I'm still, I, I'm in their wellness program. Uh, Vince to rehab. He has a wellness program. Right. You know? Yep. So uh, he sent me to rehab and they yeah. paid for it and all that, which is fucking beautiful. Because guys were dying. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm still part of that wellness program. And they call right. me all the time and shit oh. and check on me. And I'm, I'm still in contact with them. Oh, that's what's up. And they had called me and said, "Hey, we have we have several events at WrestleMania all week long. We want you to attend uh, four of them. We're going to pay you, you know, so on and so on. You know, a speaking thing, uh, an autograph thing, uh, legends, all kind of different stuff." I said, "Great," but it got canceled, so it didn't happen. But oh, they do man. that, so I like I like Vince. We were supposed to be there too. We were supposed to be down that way. Yeah, there was show. <laughs> there was a show every night for ten days. You know, before and after. Oh man! AIW was coming down here too to run the show. Oh really? The one, the company I work for in uh, with Matthew Justice and uh, John Thornton. He's a fucking great little promoter. He's like the Paul Heyman of AIW, but in a small scale. You know okay. what I mean? He's brilliant. He's good. Uh, he's a good boss. He pays me well. He takes, flies me up, puts me in a fucking Marriott every time or Hilton. That's pretty cool to get flown up, and That's I get true. respect. I walk in the dressing room, and they treat me like I'm a superstar, which is. It's a little uh, embarrassing sometimes, you know what I mean? Uh, I walk in, and guy just out of say, here, see here, fun, you know what I mean? And you guys are, I'm one of the boys, you know? Right, right. So, but uh, I was supposed to work all week. I haven't worked since March. The first week in March, we were supposed to do a show. I was on my way to Cleveland, and on Friday morning, I had my ticket, and then Thursday, they called me and canceled. You know, everything, the NFL shut down, everything shut down, so. I haven't worked yeah. since, uh, yeah. you know, March, April, May. I just did, uh, 
I signed a little verbal contract with CCW. It's a company out of Fort Lauderdale. Pablo, who also wrestled a little bit in uh, ECW, he's got a company there. It's been around for about 14 years or something like that. They got a training facility. They got a school where wrestlers can go learn how to wrestle and all that. And they run shows every month. But since the virus, they haven't run any, of course. So they're getting ready to start. So they got this new kid. He's called the Brazilian Giant, the Giant from Brazil. Uh, he's not real big, but he's big. He's husky. He's got like a Vader mask on. He kind of oh. looks like that gimmicked up a little bit. And the kid can work. So Pablo knew me and knows me. I'm the manager of champions. All that. So I get a phone call from Pablo. Hey, Fonzie, listen, let me run this by you. We got this guy, bam, bam, bam. We want you to start managing him and help him get over and teach him and so on and so on. I said, okay, great. Uh, and then he said, well, what's your talent for you? And I gave him a pretty good number. And I said, but if you guys use me every month, um, I'll cut that talent fee instead of a one-time thousand dollars. It's not a thousand dollars, but you know, yeah, uh, so yeah. I, I told him five hundred. That's my normal fee. That's my normal fee for an appearance. It's not yeah. bad, right. but you know how much a uh, fucking thing gets? Twenty-five, twenty thousand without the paint, and twenty-five grand to put the paint Ooh, on. What? That's what they thing to God. go to a convention. He won't put the paint on unless he gets the twenty-five grand. Good God, $5,000 uh, for Steve, paint. Steve. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. And then people pay it. They want the paint. They want the paint. Oh so, the so, so when I say, and Van Damme gets big money too. Van Damme gets tremendous money oh, for these yeah. appearances. So I, so when the promoter calls me, promoter calls me and says, Fonzie, what's your talent be? I always say, well, Sting's 25 grand. This guy's 10 grand. This guy's 8 grand. I'll come in for a 500. So they say 500. Okay, right away. <laughs> That's not a bad fee yeah. for them to fly me up. They pay for the flight. They put me in a hotel, and I get 500 bucks for one night. That's you know, that's pretty good fucking money. Right, you know, man. plus I enjoy it. Plus I love the business. You know, so uh, so anyway, Pablo says, "What's your talent?" And I told him, and I said, "But if you use me every time you guys run a show for a year." I'll break that down a little bit and give you guys a little bit of breaking. You have no trans because it's 200 miles from my house for Lauderdale and no hotel, no trans, no nothing. So he liked it. So I went last Wednesday. I drove down to Fort Lauderdale because they wanted to do publicity pictures with the kid, the new guy, the Brazilian giant. And they wanted me to do some promos so they can put on their website and all that because they're running the show this month on the 20th is an outdoor show. So that's going to be the first time I actually wore. And they paid me to come down last Wednesday. They pay me my talent fee to come down and do the pictures and promos and all that. Okay. So, which is pretty cool. Uh, I probably wouldn't have came, but you know, uh, they didn't pay me because that's what it's about. But anyway, they had to they get a little budget. So, I'm going to be working with this company um, as long as, you know, everything's uh, copacetic and everything gets over. And they like me. I walked in, they fucking, everybody likes me for some reason. I don't know why, but I'm well liked. <laughs> all the boys love me for some reason. Yeah. For some reason. Because I think I'm good at my job and. You know, I get the respect from that. You know, of course, we do some silly shit outside the ring, but, you know, on our personal lives and shit, like getting speeding tickets and fucking, you know, doing stupid shit, getting caught fucking the fat blonde girl and all that. <laughs> you know. so I got a little bit of a, but my reputation is pretty strong, pretty good. That needs to be a T-shirt. Fat blonde girls yeah. need love, too. Yeah, yeah. I like it. it. I like it. And if I, wore that, if I wore that shirt, I'd get twice as many fat blonde girls. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not kidding around when I'm – I shouldn't say fat blondes. 
I should say big boned blonde girl or something because that sounds terrible. <laughs> but it's true. I swear, I swear, there's big blonde girls that just fall in love with me for some reason. Uh, you can't, That's you know, fun. can't understand it. They can't resist. Can't understand it. Something, brother. <laughs> well, how, uh, how we how we how we doing, guys? Am I entertaining you guys? No, oh, you're, you're great. more uh, than yes. entertaining. I think I, I think we'll okay. just ask you this. Uh, what? Would hey, but be listen. Let, 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 let me before oh. let me before oh, yeah. you ask me a question. Let me tell you about these stories I've been telling you. If they're okay. not, uh, 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 all I gotta do is tell a story of what happened. It's not like I'm making these stories up. And if I say something that sounds a little far-fetched or doesn't sound true, it is true. I don't lie. And if I forget something, it's because I forget. You know what I mean? I forget exactly what happened. But I'm pretty oh, much 95% yeah. accurate on these stories. You know what I mean? I make the town a little different or something because, you know, you're in a different city every night working for the big companies. So if I don't cross every T and dot every I, it's because – I've had several concussions, and you know what I mean. I'm getting right. older, and I can't remember everything. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> okay. I firmly believe you. Now, Thank what you. I was just going to ask is, okay. uh, is is the the new guy? What do you say to the new guy that is getting into the business? I like, told what, this what is kid right away. Right away, I met him in ten minutes. We clicked, and we were buddies. He loved me, and uh, I see some potential in him. Uh, and I said, look, this is what I want you to do and from today until the 20th when the show is. I want you to go on YouTube and watch every one-man gang uh, match that you can watch. Go watch Bam Bam Bigelow and go watch the Va Vader, uh, Big Vader a little bit too. Vader was a little stiff, but uh, Bam Bam was one of the best big business, best big men in the business, and so was one-man gang. Yeah. They could work their ass off. I said, you watch those guys. His character, you know, and he loved. He said, "What, oh, man, gang?" And and that's what he's doing for the next twenty days. Watch, you know, he's called me twice. He said, oh, Fonzie, I, oh my God, I've seen this bad. You were refereeing Fonzie, Bam Bam Bigelow, and and uh, whoever it was, uh, you know. Oh, it was uh, Rob Van Dam, and we got the TV title, and Van Dam held it for two and a half, two years or whatever. Uh, so the kid likes me, and that's how he's going to get over. You know, he can't be like everybody else. And uh, yeah. uh, so we're doing promo. We do some publicity pictures together because the, the picture's on their website. And then I'm doing like four or five different promos, and I have him. There was two big speakers, like uh, my, like uh, speakers for the arenas, you know what I mean, that right. were, the yeah. size, were you know, the size of a small TV, you know what I mean? So I had him pick both big speakers up and doing squats with me in the back with the big speakers, oh. and I'm talking, hey, look at my Brazilian guy. He's been knocking out people since he was 12 years old, Daddy. Boom, boom, you know, all kind of stuff like that. And he loved it. So uh, be a monster and not sell for fucking a long time, you know what I mean? But when you work against the main event guy, when he works against the champion, of course he's got to sell. But when he's trying to get over on TV and doing these matches and shit, I'm going to walk him through it. He's got a sense, too. Plus, the owner of the company, Pablo Marquette, I think is his name. Uh, he's been in the business. He's one of the main trainers at the school and good guy. Yeah. You know, they've been around for years, so they're going to lead the kid through some good stuff. So, yeah. But uh, that's what I told him. To, you know, hey, you know, just fucking let's make this crap. And he had a beautiful outfit. He already had the outfit. It kind of looked like the Vader mask. 
you know, the, the leather straps doesn't cover half of his face and all that. So pretty damn cool. So I think the kid's going to get over. To, but how much can he get over on a little indie show that draws a few hundred people? Well, they said they draw 500 people on an average and up to 1,000 every month. This is before the pandemic. Right. So, uh, but right. so you know what I mean? So, um, so th- that's what I told him. These other kids say, learn your craft, be respectful. You know what I mean? That's the yeah. main thing. You got to get along with the boys. You got to be well liked. Because there's, listen, there's uh, about 3,000 wrestlers in the United States that are right. really good. Yeah. And there's only probably 200 jobs that you can make money and make a living. They're with yeah. AI, AEW and WWE. Yep. Other than that, you're going to be working indies and trying to remember. Still, you got to. Um, you know what got me over is I dress nice all the time because I learned that real quick. Listen what happened to me several times. If I walk into a Marriott with Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, yeah. and we're all checking in, we got fucking people drooling on us trying to give, give us five-star treatment, right? Yeah. If I walk in by myself without Hogan, without Macho Man, Without Mr. Perfect, I walk in with a pair of jeans on and a nice shirt and, you know, say, hey, my yeah. name's uh, Mr. Uh, William Alfonso. I got a reservation. We'll be right with you. Well, wait a minute. No respect. But if I walk yeah. in with a five-star suit on, a little Samaritan Rolex stainless steel and some nice luggage, oh, Mr. Alfonso, we've been expecting you. It's all about appearance. Right. You know, presentation yeah. is everything in life, period. So I had dinner with a girl last night, one of my neighbors. She's a few minutes older than me, but I like her. I got a little crush on her. She invited me to dinner. So <laughs> if I go over there with a bottle of wine, right, walk in with a bottle of wine, that's nice. Yeah. But if I walk in with a little wicker basket that's got a bottle of wine, a bread, a fucking dessert, a little thing of flowers, a little thing of this, and a little toy for her dog, she loves, oh, I'm so impressed. Oh, what a nice man. Oh, Fonzie, oh, my God, thank you so much. You know, I was the star of the show last night, you know? Right, I was just right. having dinner with his rod. But if I walk, you know, everything's appearance and presentation, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my presentation with you guys, I said, look, we're going to have a good time. If you like the way I do the podcast, and I'll, get, I'll send you 100 bucks back or whatever. You know what I mean? I want you guys to be happy as fuck yeah. and have a good time. It's all about communication and look we're forming a friendship we're gonna be friends forever now Heck yeah you're gonna call yes. me and say hey Bonnie, can you do a part two and give us a break because we don't have capital you know we're a small company of course i'm gonna work with you guys you know what i mean i'm gonna see yeah. when i go to carolinas you guys are gonna come to the show i'm gonna call you and say hey we be for dinner whatever Heck you yeah. know what i mean we're hooked up for life yes, we're sir. bonding and so, you know so. it's good business it's just good business yeah Yes, indeed. So, so if you're listening in now, kid. we just got a new best friend. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> Daddy. Yeah, that's right. So it's I got, I have yeah. one more, yeah. one yeah. more question. Ask me so, yeah. so I was watching uh, Dark Side of the Ring. I'm, I'm a big fan of Dark Side of the Ring. I love it. I, They're yeah. excellent, aren't they? Every I, series. Oh my fucking, god! I yeah. can't keep my eyes off it. Yes. Fucking. And I was there for a lot of that. I've seen it, so that's I was why right I was, there, you know? Yeah, that's why yeah. I was asking you. So I was watching the the New Jack episode Ooh, where, where, yeah. he, <laughs> where he tossed Homeboy off the, the rafters. Man, like, were you there at the time? Like, can you give us anything on that? Yes. 
You know, I can give you anything on it. But if I got in a fight, New Jack loved me for some reason, but we got along real well. If I got in a fight, I want New Jack on my side. But New Jack was just a ballsy <laughs> fucking street cred, bad motherfucker, and didn't give a fuck. And he, I don't know what he was out to prove, but he damn sure did it his way, man. He was tough on those people, you know? He was tough on those people. And the, the guy he worked with, I forgot, Vic Rhymes or somebody he threw off the top. Yeah. Vic Rhymes or something. I think he said something smart-ass to New Jack. And, you know, you got to know the guy you're working with. I'm not going to say nothing smart-ass to New Jack. Like, hey, New Jack, fucking dress nice. You look like a piece of shit. You think I'm going to say that to New Jack? <laughs> I don't care. No. To be your last ass match. Right. Exactly. Man. New Jack's a badass motherfucker. Yeah. I see him every once in a while at these conventions. I love New Jack. He's a dear friend of mine. He, see, he seems awesome, man. Like, I was just watching. Like, it's like I remember seeing a couple matches but watching that that one episode and it was bad enough that he had thrown uh whoever i can, i think it was yeah vic grimes Vic, then, vic then, Grimes. there was yeah. the other yeah. match mm-hmm. where um where the, where, trans, the, kid, the uh, where the kid got cut across his forehead yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's trans well that was his daddy we didn't know the kid was fucking 16 or 17 years old Jeez. we didn't know he came in there while he looked like a big guy you know he looked older than uh, coming there talking smack and shit and his dad was there. They could have prevented all that shit. You know, he he was talking smack. Uh, so, you know, I don't uh, agree with the big slice, but I don't know if New Jack did that on purpose. Probably did. You know, slice his head off, whatever. But, you know, it happened. And, okay, it, was, it could, have been, could have been prevented if the guy was cool. You know, but I, I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I don't know, know who you're talking to. Yep, absolutely. He, pr- pretty, that, that's a good thing. You better know who you're talking to. Because I think... Yeah. Kid was a little smart, Ali. Oh, I can do this. I can do that. New Jack said, "Okay, uh, you get a little juice. I'll get it for you." Okay. Oh my God. Not, not you know. But it is what it is. Yes, indeed, man. So, Mr. Alfonso, give everybody yeah. your social media, man. So, how can they oh, get in touch oh, with you and all oh, that yeah, good stuff? Um, well, I have a beautiful niece, my sister's kid, Angelica, who you guys been dealing with. Right, yeah, she's okay. a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. She's twenty-four years old. She's beautiful. People think she's my daughter because she looks like me, and she loves the wrestling business. And I love. Her. We spent one last year. We spent every day together for a year, and she learned. Oh, wow. And she's a whiz on social media, which I'm okay on. But she's, you know, she's uh, the new kids. They all know that. Like my grandson's ten years old. He knows all about everything, you know. And I'm sixty-three, so I gotta adapt to this new stuff every time something comes out. And it's just regular for them. Uh, so, what was the question? Oh, how do oh, yeah. you find me on social media? So, so Angelica said, Uncle Bill, you're fucking known worldwide. We're going to get you social media on track. And since she's coming to my wrestling uh, career and hooked up my social media, which is Bill Fonzi Alfonso, um, I, my, we're looking to get 15,000 people, which is not a lot of people because Van Damme's got a million. And I'm trying to work on 15,000. That's not bad for me, you know. But <laughs> she handles everything. She communicates with everybody real good. She's professional. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to her. Angelica Alfonso, I love you to death. You're one of my favorite people. Thank you so much. So I've got Instagram, Bill Fonzi Alfonso, um, uh, Twitter, Alfonso Bill, at Alfonso Bill, and, of course, Facebook, Bill Fonzi Alfonso. And everybody who comes on and friend requests and all that, I try to, you know, talk to everybody, but, you know, reaching 15,000 people. people this year, I hope, 
that's a mm -hmm. lot of people, but really not. You send a, a message out, you know, that uh, covers everybody. You know what I mean? Right. Thanks for the love and all that stuff. I treat my people good. Uh, and I don't try to fucking sell them shit all the time. You look yeah, at my, yeah. uh, my sites, you see there's been a couple of t-shirts or you might be able to, people want an 8x10 sign. I'll, I send more 8x10s. Like some guy contacted me on social media. Oh, my son's birthday. He loves you. How could he love me? He's fucking eight years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to get one over. Trying to get one over. But I, I send the kid. I sign the thing. Happy birthday, Rex. Whatever. And send it out. And, you know? So, but all good. So, you know, social media's been good to me, and I like it. Look, you guys found me on social media. I'm not yeah, that hard to true. find. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Bill Fonzie Alfonso and uh, at Alfonso Bill on Twitter. Okay. And we keep current we keep current there's a lot of great pictures on the on the facebook if you look through them there's some classic pictures and i got stories behind every picture like there's a picture of me and andre the giant i got a story where he stepped on my foot by accident you know i'm breaking him i'm pushing him back and he he walks back he steps on my right foot and uh, he cracked it and i didn't know it was cracked what? and he healed back but oh. 25 years later, my foot swells up every once in a while. My right foot swells up like about 10 or 15%. And I go to the, the doctor and they look at it. They x-rayed it and found a crack. And they said, what, what, when that happened? I said, oh, 1980 in Miami Beach Convention Center. Giant, uh, um, Andre the Giant stepped on my foot. What? And I got to tell them the story. And I'm a wrestler and all that shit. So they love it. But he says, that's what happens. He says, I thought I had like the gout or something wrong with me, but nope, right. it's, it's that cracked foot never healed right, and it swells up every once in a while. So that's the story, one story behind that picture, and every picture's got a story. Every picture's got a story. So I'll be more because I look. I got so many stories that I didn't tell you about Barry Windham getting shot. Oh my God! What? what? Uh, <laughs> oh wait! I, like, hold like, on! Hey, hold on! Like, we got time for that. Like two, <laughs> like two hours before his match, close the rest of Harley Race. On a, at the Miami Beach Convention Center, they're going to wrestle an hour Broadway. You know what a Broadway is? Yes. Yep, it's yep. A, you know, the time limit. So yeah. they're going to wrestle for an hour, and nobody wins because they wrestle for an hour. But Barry gets shot. We're in the Everglades. So we're driving a car. Me, Steve Kerr, and Barry Windham, and Mike Rotunda, we're driving down to Miami. We're going through Alligator Alley. We're all making money. we all got guns and fuzz busters and radar detectors and fucking <laughs> uh, ostrich boots and you know, all dressed nice and motorcycles, all kind of toys and shit. So we stop in the Everglades to shoot the gun. So everybody pulls out the gun and starts shooting shit. And Steve Curran says, hey, Fonzie, watch me hit that sign. I said, brother, Steve, you want to hit that sign. It's fucking huge. He said, no, I'm going to hit the pole that's holding the sign up, which is, you know, a little two-inch pole in diameter. So he aims, shoots the pole. Barry Windows about 20 feet from the pole. The bullet ricochets. He's off the pole and hits Barry Windham in the leg. Down he goes. Oh, as soon as that happened, the, the, phone, the phone rings. It's Dusty Rhodes. It's the booker of the territory. Hey, where are you guys at, Fonzie? Uh, you know, Barry's wrestling hard. I said, Barry just got shot. Barry just got shot. So I said, what the fuck? So he says, dig that bullet out and tape him up and get him. The bullet didn't go. It, it penetrated him, but you can see. The bullet in his leg, like you can see the end of the bullet in his oh, leg. They dug the bullet out. We taped him out, and he wrestled Harley Race for 60 minutes that what? night. What? 
Oh, yep, my gosh. What a bullet shot like wound in his leg. Wow. Yes, it was pretty fucking so cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so I got a lot of good stories about That's alligators shit. with the great Muda, and, and I did some really cool stuff with Giant Gonzalez. We didn't cover none of that. Let's do part two. I've got to save something. But I yes, but, so we're, we're going to have a plan for part two, look, and all you, we're just going to leave it to the craziest but, stories. Yeah. That have but, okay, I'm going to tell you one more story. Okay, yeah, please. Oh, no, please, please, I, I think, please I, tell I, us. I'll, I'll think you like it. Remember I had mentioned that I was Giant Gonzalez's personal assistant for three years. Yeah. Yeah. WCW, uh, WWF, went around the world, been in multiple movies. I wasn't in the movies. He wasn't, but I'm his personal assistant. Right. So wherever he goes, I go. We're together 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for three years, every day, <laughs> with the tallest guy on the planet. Jeez. And he was a good-looking, tall Spanish kid. He was... He wasn't like, I mean, you know, Andre, had, they both had the giant's disease. You know how Andre's forehead starts growing, you know, the jaw yeah. protrudes and, you know, the uh, fingers get, but so giant Gonzalez didn't have that yet. It's coming, but he didn't have, he was proportional. He looked like normal, but, but, you know, almost eight foot tall. Yeah. And the women loved him. The women loved him. A good-looking Spanish kid had long hair, beautiful. He could talk good. The women loved him. And I'm not talking about just the rats, you know, the, the, the fans and all that <laughs> shit. I'm talking about we'd go to the mall, and we'd get three housewives, good-looking, come up to us, and bullshit, wanting to know who he is and what he's about, <laughs> flirt with him and all that. And he, he, he hooked up with a bunch of them, too. So we're at the Marriott in Los Angeles by the airport. And it's normal for me, and we wouldn't split a room because we both make, he's making five times as much money. I was making like 155 grand, whatever. I was making, I was making good money. So we never got a room together. But my room's like on the same hallway as him. Right. I'm right there. It's normal for me to get a phone call from Giant Gonzalez at 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, Fonzie, what are you doing? I'm sleeping, brother. He said, would you mind going to Waffle House and get me, uh, 10 eggs and some sausage. 10 and, eggs. Uh, and, you know, whatever, a big order. Oh, yeah, he's a big guy. guy. You know, yeah. 480 yeah. four, four pounds on the same foot. So I said, no, not at all. Never said no to him because that's my job. Plus, we became friends instantly. Yeah. Together three years. So I get a, So this is normal. It goes on all the time. Fonzie, can you do this? Fonzie, can you do Yes. All within reasonable. He wouldn't ask me nothing bad to do. You know what I mean? So. So I get a phone call. We're in Los Angeles at the Marriott. We had been, we had did what? Oh, we were doing Baywatch. He, mm. he had a part in Baywatch where he was in the cage and the uh, even Hasselhoff's son uh, befriended him and wanted to get him out of the cage because he was in a sideshow on a circus yeah. or whatever. It was part of the act. So, but anyway, during off time, we'd go to the mall, we'd go over here, over there, have people follow us around. They didn't know we were wrestling, you know, whatever. They just were amazed at his size. So we go to the mall. So we're back at the hotel. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I get a phone call. You guys are going to like this. I get a phone call from Giant Gonzalez. 3 o'clock in the morning. Hey, Fonzie, can you come to my room? I said, I'll be there in five minutes. So I knock on his door. He opens the door. He's naked, which is unusual because usually he's got a pair of shorts on. He's naked, not a stitch of clothes on him. Fonzie, I said, John, what are you doing naked? He opens the door more, and there's this fucking blonde girl 
beautiful, like a five-star girl. She's a housewife or whatever. I mean, one of the most beautiful girls I've seen in a long time. I mean, beautiful. He says, he says, uh, Fonzie, I need your help. And the girl says, hey, I've never met this girl. I guess he told her about me a little bit. He says, hey, Fonzie, how you doing? She's waving at me, naked as a jaybird. I mean, not a stitch of clothes on, beautiful lady in the bed. It all propped up. And he says, Fonzie, we got a problem. I said, okay, man, I can help you. What I, you want me to go get you some wine or some cheeseburger or steak, whatever? He says, no, 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 no. He said, Fonzie, you know I'm big. He said, my dick is so fat, I can't get inside her pussy. <laughs> I said, ah, well. And the girl shaking her head, nodding her head, yes. She's going, yes, I'm not, yes. In. He said, I need, I need you to jump on her and give her a little service and get her lubed up. Yo. And then as soon as you do that, you leave and I'm going to jump on her. And I'm so embarrassed. And the girl said, yeah, would you mind, Fonzie? And the, she looked like a fucking Playboy bunny. And she said, oh, Fonzie, I don't mind if you please help us. Please help us. Bruh. So my job that night, my job that night was I was making money for traveling around the world. My job was to service this girl so the giant could jump on her. You know what I mean? What a job. Now, People find that hard to believe, but it's a true story. It's true. I don't I mean, doubt a it. beautiful girl. I don't doubt it's it at all. It's a true story. And if she's listening, please call me. <laughs> I, I, I would just like to say, Bill, if you ever need any assistance on the right. road, you have my number. Call me. Yes. We are Thank there. Thank you. Man. Thank you. And you got to remember, uh, I've, got I've been single. I've been, I was single. My wife passed. Um, early on in my career, she died oh, young. Man. God bless her, miss her, my daughter's mom. Thank you. It was uh, 36 years ago she died. So I've been single basically my whole adult life. I was married at 22, had my daughter at 24. My wife passed shortly after that, kidney failure, and I really miss her. But, you know, that's life. Life goes on. Oh, so um, I got to remember, I was single for all these years, so I can participate and after matches activities at the hotel. So, yeah. you know, a lot of guys get married and, you know, they fuck around on the road with the girls. Then they get divorced and all that. I get to fuck around with the girls on the road and not get in trouble because I had no wife, you know? So I was mad at that. And I was not notorious because uh, for doing that. But, you know, you're on the road you know, 300 days a year. You're traveling around. You kind of. I was kind of a half-assed celebrity. You know, the rest of the big celebrities, now I'm mixing with them. So, you know, I'm a decent celebrity, you know, in my own way, you know. So, and the girls, the big fat girls like me. <laughs> you know that. I've been saying it all night, uh, man. So, uh, but that's another. That oh, my God. The story about Jack Gonzalez, I thought you guys might like. I and like I got it. all kinds of stories. You look at you look on the Facebook and you pick a picture out and you say, hey, Fonzie, tell me about the picture with you and Flair and Fujinami and all that, then I can tell you what happened that night. Pretty cool. Or how I got, you know, flown from Tampa, took 24 hours to get to Tokyo to my hotel room and all, you know, stuff like that. I'm on the plane with a bunch of guys. Uh, you know, pretty cool stuff. And uh, so I'm sure we can do a second part. Oh, absolutely. We, we just oh, scratch, we have to do the scratch second part. Yeah. And I'll work, with you. I'll work with you guys on the little calipi. I hated yeah. to do that, but what, what happened was I didn't work for three months. Yeah, understandable. Hey, and right. my niece, Angelica, she said, "Hey, you, thank you." And and Angelica says, "Hey, Uncle Fons, you know we can make some money. This all. Let me post something and see what kind of response." So I've got big responses, and people don't mind paying that small. 
you know, there's four of you yeah. guys, and is, what's a, you know, what's a C oh, note, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, 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 and it's okay because um, it helps, you know, keep me going and motivated and stuff. And believe me, I'm having more fun. It's not about the money. Man, we cool. Nah, nah man, look. Look, nah, nah, uh, this, it's, this was <laughs> some people. More than worth you, it. I would say you've been out of work. You know what I'm saying? Even though I know you're doing well, you know what I'm saying? So, nah, you straight. No, that's cool. Yeah, yeah we, we good. We, we have – That feels like we, Brooklyn we got a friendship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to yeah, earn man, my we, money, Daddy. I want to earn my money. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, got, we got a good friendship after out of this. Yeah. Oh, we're lifelong, we're lifelong friends forever. We're wrestling yeah. related. Now we're on the podcast. That's another episode. Plus when we hook up and have – we all go out and eat and all that, hang out. Would be very cool. Be my guest at any show that I'm on anywhere in the country. You know, you guys come down to Tampa because I think they're doing WrestleMania down here next year. Uh, you guys come down to Tampa and I'll oh, yeah. take you guys out to dinner. And oh, there goes man. my hundred dollars I just made because it's about a hundred bucks to take four <laughs> big motherfuckers to dinner. You know? okay. Especially with Mr. Magnificent. Yeah, here, I like out. to eat. Yeah, yeah, to eat right yeah, there. He, man. He like yeah. <laughs> okay, baby. Man, look, I'm gonna tell you guys to let that see this Cuban restaurant. You're gonna love it. I think all the wrestlers there. Because it's relatively inexpensive, so so when I'm on the road, I get in, uh, asked to dinner all the time. Like Ric Flair, hey Fonzie, let's go do the five star uh, Charlie Steakhouse. I'm buying dinner. Oh, thanks, Rick, because I can't go buy a uh, hundred dollar dinner and drink, you know, drink four or five drinks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't. So when the guys come to my town, I go, oh, and I've taken everybody from Kevin Sullivan to Giant Gonzalez to uh, Sandman to Van Damme. I've taken them all. Everybody, Buddy Rhodes, uh, Kurt Henning, Bam Bam. I think them all to this restaurant. They all love it. And it's under, it's about 10 bucks to eat there. So I always pay for it because it's affordable for me. And these guys have been taking me out to dinner for years. So it's, you know, they're on a different pay scale than me. They're making 500 grand and I'm making 100. You know what I mean? So I got to take them to the Cuban place, which they love. Yeah. So I'm inviting you now to let let that seat to the Cuban restaurant when you guys come to WrestleMania next year. Absolutely, man. Yes. Now, yeah, don't I, I, lose I, I, my numbers. 100% I'm being <laughs> sincere here. Being right. sincere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I know you said uh, you talk about a website. Do you have a website also? That's being created right now. I had a little bit of a website, but I didn't know what I was doing. Angelica <laughs> Alfonso has created a whole new thing for me because since the social media is we took off for it's been a, over a year, year and a half, up to fifteen thousand this year. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna get a website and do some pretty cool stuff. So that is coming, but I don't have one right now to speak of because you know it's being created. She's on her A game and she's putting something together. Uh, and she's you know she's surveying everybody's website and see all the different wrestlers what to do and what not to do. Right. You know, smart move. Well, hey, when, yeah. you, when you get the website up, definitely let us know because we want to promote it on our show and promote it oh, on our, our page as well. Thank you. Did you see the little plug that we put on ours? I sure did. I, did. I definitely oh, did. Yeah. coming on the show? Yes, indeed. Okay, that was her. That. that was her. You know, that was her. And now she's going to do a follow-up, too. So once we hang up, our cars, she's like, how did it go, Uncle Bill? Were you good? And I'll say, yeah, it was good, and or whatever. <laughs> and she'll post. Uh, she'll listen to it whenever it airs. Make sure you let her know the second it airs, and I'll listen to it too. For she'll sure. she'll write a follow up story about that. Oh, and when it when it's airing, oh my God, Fonzie, it's big. Uh, the podcast is airing tonight. Everybody watches. So out of the ten thousand that we have now, if five hundred of them listen, okay. 
You know, right, but right. she yeah. she does an excellent job. She's five star. Aware of what she does. So, uh, with all that being said, life is good. Life is good, indeed. Yeah, and you guys are fucking dope. You uh, you hit me with all these questions. You know, obviously, you love the wrestling business. Yes. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Very bad. Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) you're like as old as you guys. You guys are in your twenties or thirties? Thirties. Yeah, thirties. Yeah. Nice. Mid thirties. That's good. Yes. Perfect. Perfect, man. One and a half of Perfect. us wrestled so you... on the indies. Yeah, yeah. One and a half of us <laughs> really? wrestled. Yeah, uh, Mr. Magnificent really? here. He's been, he's been wrestling for 12 years. Well, yeah. 12 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I just. Well, why? Uh, go ahead. Damn, I don't know why. Magnificent, I don't know why. we. If you've been wrestling for 12 years, we might have ran into each other sometime. You know, it's, it's really possible. It's really possible. I, I mostly wrestle around uh, the Carolinas, though. Okay. Very cool. And, Very cool. And I just literally started. Well, my my debut was well. Actually, by the time this show comes out, my debut will have. Well, my debut was technically yesterday. So really, so by the time yeah. this come out, yeah, yeah, I've been training for about a year. So yeah, so wow, great, good for yeah, you guys. You know, better late than never. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you love the business. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, don't do nothing you can't do. Okay, if you can't throw a punch, like uh, let me see. Van Dam didn't throw the best punch. That's the only thing I didn't like in the ring about Van Dam. And I would tell him, oh, Van Dam, if you can't throw a punch, don't throw one. Right. You know? Right. Oh, you yeah. do everything else, true, five true. star. Why the fuck are you going to throw a punch? And his punch wasn't bad, but it was. It didn't meet his his quality of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It didn't meet. Yeah. It didn't. Just, so I'm telling you, you, you know, you match the debut and soon. Um, don't do anything you can't do unless it's. Five star. Unless you can't do a backflip, don't do it unless it's a five star. Don't throw a punch unless it's a good punch. Don't do a knee lift if you can't do a knee lift. You know what I mean? Do the stuff what you do good, good, and do the stuff you do so-so or passable. Don't even do it. Don't even throw a punch if you can't throw a punch. You know, because it just takes away from you. True a little bit of advice. I like that. No, quick, look. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm extremely yeah, yeah. coachable. I could take it. I could take constructive criticism. So that's no, that's great yeah. advice. Yeah, I'm Very trying to help advice. you out because who wants to see you throw a shitty punch if you can't throw one? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Shit out of it. Exactly. <laughs> or you do something that the whole audience says, You fucked up. You don't want that. Yeah. That is so awesome, man. Well, if it's okay with you, we'll definitely be in contact uh contact for part two. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Contact uh, Angelica, or now you guys got my number, but, uh, you know, always include her in because she's uh, the webmaster and all that. She's pretty cool, mm-hmm. easy to work with. Oh, yeah. And she, she knows my she schedule. Is. She's a, oh, well, he's not available for that day because he's in Japan. But that's not going to happen because I haven't been to Japan in, since the 98. I think we went, ECW went <laughs> and did some stuff with uh, Onida. But, you know, I'm available, so good. Yeah, we'd love to do a follow-up. Let's see what kind of response we get. So yeah. Usually, yeah. Yeah. like yeah. stories, and and I don't tell the same stories every time. I, the podcast, like uh, I think we got several podcasts lined up, and I won't repeat myself, you know, because they're gonna ask me different questions and different shit, and I'll try to work around it, you know what I mean? And I don't want the people to hear the same old stories, but you know, uh, but all good, all good. So far, it's worked out tremendously. I've done a hundred podcasts in the last since. This podcast started, you know. Ooh, that's, that's awesome. What's up? Yeah, that's crazy. 
Glad you chose to be be on this one. Thank yes, you. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you. It's, a, it's my privilege. I'm I'm flattered to be on with you guys. It's yeah. very flattering for me to talk to you guys. And you know who I am. Oh, finally, we used to see you here. Oh, this and that. Thank you, guys. That's very flattering. Very yeah, nice. And yes, what's indeed. What's the drop? Yeah, so we, yeah, we're gonna do. We're gonna get that uh, after after we close out. But you know, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and uh, close out, fellas. So you know All what right. it is, man. It's it's the Smash the Mat podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media on Twitter at we're at Smash the Mat Pod on Instagram, Smash the Mat Podcast on Facebook, Smash the Mat. You know, we got the discussion group, Smash right. the Mat discussion. You know, we got the email. That's right. At, uh, we're at Smash the Mat Podcast at Gmail We Got the YouTube page. You know what I'm saying? And now I think we're about to start an account on uh, fatblondegirls.com. Yep, yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Beautiful. I love it. Sign up for that one. I'm yeah. the first one. <laughs> Astronauts okay. Anonymous, <laughs> Farmers Only, be, all that. You begin a lot of requests. Hey, well, how do you get a hold of Fonzie? <laughs> it's, true. It's, it's true. Hey, you guys are dope, man. Thank you so much, man, for having me on. Smash the Mad podcast available on multiple platforms. That's right. You can find it. It's a. Uh, 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 a, a good uh, firm uh, wrestling talk show, and uh, they have some great guests on. Look, I just got on. I'm privileged to be on and to uh, reaching out. And if anybody wants to reach out to me on Bill Fonzie Alfonso social media, please do. I'll respond as quick as I can. And I want to thank you guys so much for having me on. I really enjoyed myself. And time flies. We've been on for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 About an hour and a half. Hour and a half. So one more thing, because I'm yes. like, I mean, this is probably like your first time like hearing of us. So not only do we do like these podcasts, but uh, me and Mr. Magnificent and like the whole crew, we'll go to we go to indie shows and we do commentary also. So. So really? we go, yeah, yeah, so we travel to shows and, like mainly and you around. Taped, do you tape the show while you're? Sometimes we do. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, sometimes okay. we do. Whenever we if have a video. You guys want to invite me us. up? Look, look, it won't cost us a lot of money for to the Carolinas. Either if it's a, like a, a weekend, if it's a Friday and Saturday show or something, we get two shows. Mm. I would drive up. It's only ten hours. You know what I mean? But if it's feasible to easier to fly, mm. right now flights are cheap. But there's no shows, big shows right now. But. Uh, it's not a bad idea if you guys want me to come that would be up crazy. and sit with you at the commentary table or manage somebody or do something, special referee, or get some juice yeah. or bang one of them fat girls there for you or whatever. <laughs> I'm available. You know? Yes, indeed. And it'd be pretty cool. Look. Generally, when I do these indies and um, uh, uh, the conventions and stuff, people are thrilled to see me. People are thrilled to see me, especially at an indie show where, uh, like, I'll be, you know, as all the indie guys and then I'm an old celebrity type guy. I mm -hmm. usually do really well at merchandise, uh, pictures. People want to, you know, get a little picture with me or whatever. That's pretty cool. So keep that in the back of your head, guys. I'm available. Yeah, That's I'll definitely pass on your uh, social media information. Yeah, to please the, uh, do. Thank you so much. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, be that'd great be cool. Say, hey, let's let's try to get Fonzie. See if he's in the budget. We can get him up and get him relatively okay. You know, it won't kill us, but. It adds something to the show. People are always glad to see me, and I'm a fan-friendly person. So, mm. and you, generally, the promoters like me too because I put everybody over. You know, awesome. That Ooh, that yeah. needs to be put over. Yeah, we'll put them over. But I like it. generally, everybody's cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look. That'll work, man. All right. Look, I am the ugliest brother, Radio G Money, and of course, I am Mr. Magnificent. And it's me, DB. 
And this is another episode of the Smash Mad Podcast. We'd like to thank our guest, Bill Alfonso, a.k.a. Fonzie, for joining us. And you know what? Just keep listening. That's right. Stay tuned for part two coming out soon. Hey, guys, this is former WCW wrestling star Glacier. Make sure you tune in to Smash the Mad Podcast before blood sold on you. What's up, everyone? When you ask the question, who better than Brian Cage, you ask nobody. And when you're asking, who better than Smash the Mad Podcast, that's also nobody. Hey, everybody, this is the Caribbean Tiger, the man you love to hate. So please follow Smash the Mad Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Take care.